Transformative Principle, episode 66, with Greg Levitt. This is a little bonus episode with Greg. We talk about trust. We talk about standards-based grading. We talk about objective trackers and how to get college students to grade student papers. Pretty awesome, right? Is it getting to be the time of the year that you need to do a little bit of spring cleaning? Desk getting overloaded with paper? Can't find your keyboard or your computer? Well, I've got a solution for you. It's called The Paperless Principle. It's a book that I wrote that will help you learn how to become paperless and use the right tools to help you get your work done. It's an amazing book that I hope will help you focus on being more efficient with your time so that you can devote more time to helping students learn. Click on the link in the show notes. I appreciate your support. Okay, you talked about trusting teachers and how they, uh, um, you need to be able to trust teachers to do what they're supposed to do. You, you know, you came into the school, there are already teachers there, and then over the last nine years, you probably hired a significant number of them. How, how, did, how did you build that trust at the beginning, and how has that trust developed over the last nine years as you've been working with those same, those teachers that you've brought on and the ones that have stayed there? Um, well, I, I would say one way you build trust and the way I think we've done it at Draper Park Middle School is not change the program every year. Mm-hmm. You know, teachers aren't going to buy into a program if you're going to just do it for two years and then something else new comes along. The district has a new flavor of the month or there's a new, new uh, book out and everyone jumps to that book. And, and, you know, I believe in collaboration and we've been doing it for nine years, and that's been our focus. And yeah, we put little, th- we've we've added things to collaboration to make it better. But that's that's our baby, and, and uh, collaboration will work today, and it'll work 20 years from now. Mm-hmm. Um, so you gotta you whatever whatever you're gonna have your teachers do, you have to you have to believe it enough that it's gonna last more than just a year, or two years. So I build trust by making by my teachers understand that. This isn't going to go away, and and so they need to become better at it. Um, so that's I think that's probably the best way to build trust. Mm-hmm. I I think that's a great answer, and that's um, that's something that I think is really difficult to maintain. You know, there's there's always something new and exciting, and for someone like me personally, it's easy for me to get excited about something else and want to move in that direction. And, and I work really hard to stay focused like you are on, you know, this is what we're doing at our school. We're, we're focusing on providing what students need when they need it. And anything we add to that needs to fit into that schema of giving kids what they need when they need it. Your schema is collaboration, which I think is, is totally appropriate. And that, that allows you to focus on that one thing and everything you add is designed to make that collaboration better so that the students have better chance of succeeding. Is that accurate statement there? That is accurate. Um, I just, uh, I would just add that I believe collaboration both on cross-curricular levels and subject levels are the vehicle that um, builds valid leadership at all levels and it also provides uh, the maneuverability for any kind of PD that you want, any 
any new research that comes down the pike because now you have a forum to make sure that spread around the building in an equitable and um, uh, efficient way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I love that. That is that is awesome. Is there anything else that you uh, that you want um, our listeners to know about that you didn't get a chance to to say or plug in your in your time tonight? Um, no, I would just say that as you get rolling down this collaboration and you add standard-based grading to the equation mm-hmm. of mastery and making sure that students, what they're actually doing is based more on what they perform on assessments rather than what they perform on practice work, and you start turning that corner of uh, students mastering their grade is... is uh, determined by what they actually master, not what they actually do on a practice homework sheet. Um, We're now grading at our school, 100% of our grades are based on assessments. Uh, We are not basing grades anymore on practice work, homework, projects, extra credit, anything. It's all based on assessments. And what that will do over time is, you know, you always got the one that says, well, what if they don't test well? Well, uh, if you want to do a whole nother show, we can. I mean, I have we have <laughs> answers for that, but but uh, that's going to help these PLC movements move along because then you really know a student is mastering the work because the data is clear and not fogged up with with um, effort based uh, uh, homework and practice work. Um. Yeah. Um. Do you have a few more minutes and we can do a little bonus section about standards-based grading? Because um, that what you just said is super powerful. When we throw all that other junk out and we just focus on what the kids can actually demonstrate they're proficient at, that is, that is amazing. So go a little bit deeper into what that standards-based grading looks like and what you're, what you're really focusing on, how you got to that point. Well, again, we started small, um, but now uh, we, uh, you know, I, I remember we, first of all, uh, read Rick Warmly's book, Equal Isn't Always Fair, mm-hmm. and we read it together as a, a, f- a few teams, and I didn't get everyone convinced all at once. Um, uh, I started with one or two, you know, so we had our team set up, so I went to one or two teams. Okay, uh, I want you guys to start working on standard-based grading, and mm-hmm. here's the book. Let's read it together. I didn't involve the whole school. Um, I just got a, I, I, you know, out of my nine teams, I worked with three of them, you know, mm-hmm. one per grade level, just so it got a start in each grade, right? Yep. And, uh, and then the next thing I did was um, we started with, right now we're grading math at uh, 60-40, you know, and that's, that's typical in a lot of schools around the nation. Um, you know, tests will be worth 60 points and homework will be worth 40 points. And so your grade is so watered down, you really don't know what they know, you know. And, mm-hmm. uh, and so I just said, well, let, let's this year, let's go to 70-30. The next year, let's go to 80-20. And pretty soon, here we are at 100-0, mm-hmm. where now the community is completely bought in that if you want an A, uh, an A demonstrates what you know, not what you uh, not based on just completion. It's based on what you really know and understand. In English, it's based on rubrics. 
um, our language arts teachers had a hard time with mastery grading because they didn't know how to make it work. So they started building rubrics uh, and making sure that that an A meant that that uh, you know it just wasn't pretty and nice, and they got credit for you know all the all the spelling was correct, right? Yeah. No, they got credit and the rubric for actual content of 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 the work, and so. Um, Anyway, I, 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 it's it's a big topic, Jethro. It's a big topic, but when you get there, um, it, it's amazing. And there's a there's a whole other thing that we do called objective trackers, where the students self-evaluate themselves. Mm-hmm. So every week, a student is given in every class in in, in Draper Park Middle School, both elective and uh, elective classes, and um, core classes, they're giving what we, uh, an objective tracker. And that objective tracker has the unit, the, the I can statements for the week. Mm-hmm. And, and so there might be six I can statements on it. And the teacher reviews those I can statements. That's where this is students. This is what we're going to be learning over the next uh, couple of weeks or next week. Um, I want you to rate yourself on how well you think you know these. And, uh, and, and then by the, by, if they take a formative test, they, they, uh, give themselves a one, two, three, or four based on each I can statement. You know, I can write a sentence with correct, uh, punctuation, you know, you know, I don't know. I'm just making something up. Right. Sure. Uh, so, uh, they would rate themselves a one, two, three, or four if they feel like they can do that. If they can't and they're giving themselves a two, then the teacher walks around the room and makes sure that they are helping those students that are self-assessing them with, themselves with twos uh, uh, so that uh, are partnering them up with students that have fours so that by the time they get to that summative assessment, everyone is on board knowing what they need to do. To do. They also take these objective trackers home then, parents sign off on them and review with the kids what they should be doing and knowing on a test so they have an excellent study guide right there yeah that's that's pretty awesome so the assessments can be a multiple choice or they can be an essay what do the different assessments look like oh i don't think we're different in any other school i mean um we've banned word searches and uh you know crossword uh type puzzles at our school we just think that's not rigorous enough mm-hmm. you know so we do uh, short answer long answer uh, uh, matching multiple choice essay you know I-, I will tell you draper park middle school and language arts now is focused completely on writing i can't mm-hmm. remember the last time they gave it a, a vocabulary test per se do you see what i'm saying mm-hmm. i mean they're they're all all their work in, in language arts is writing and um, uh, our students are writing, and we've hired aides to help the teachers grade that writing so they can write more and get more feedback. So anyway. Mm-hmm. Tell me a little bit about, the, about that part. So aides are, are doing the grading. How does, how does that work? So we, we're on Canvas. Mm-hmm. Um, all, our, all our students uh, do work on, uh, write on Canvas to the prompt. And then because it's on Canvas, it's an already digital and electronic, we send that digital writing out to uh, aides through email. 
they grade it and send it back to the students. The teacher grades some, and they. But we've hired college students from BYU and Utah State to help us grade, and and so these kids have quicker turnaround on feedback. And and why why did you do that? To make teachers' lives easier? Well, no. The more students write and the more feedback get, feedback they get, the better they're going to be at writing it. A lot of teachers don't write more because it takes them so long to get through the writing feedback loop that by the time they get everyone feedback, uh, all the students' feedback to them, um, they're just dead dog tired, right? And mm-hmm. so, so a teacher, maybe I would say eight years ago, nine years ago, our teachers were only having students do, uh, I mean, full writing content. Uh, four or five times a year. There's not a week that goes by in our school now. There's 38 weeks in a school year. Our students are writing easily 38 uh, times a year, good full writing. I mean, it's just all about that, right? So, Mm -hmm. and that's why I think they were number one in the state. They're just writing so much, you know, it's, it's becoming second nature to them. Right. And, and, and uh, Sue Sakowitz, who, who I also interviewed a couple weeks ago, she said that writing, is the most important thing because writing demonstrates thinking. And so if you can write about something, then it shows what you actually know about it. So if you're struggling with the writing aspect of it, you don't really know it. But if you are writing well about a topic, then you really do know that topic. Have you seen that to be the case at your school? Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I mean, um, the content of these papers, uh, I think, every year because we're starting in lower grades every year, it's just getting better and better and better. And, um, it also, because you're writing so much helps the other parts of writing. Right. I mean, Mm -hmm. um, you know, if you spend, if you spend time only focused on punctuation and grammar and they don't really get to write the full content of what they're doing, then, um, they don't, uh, students never get to put it all together. Do you see what I'm saying? So now, I feel like our students are putting that all together, and be, and 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 because we have these days, they have the time to, to grade it and give them feedback. So they'll give them feedback on on their grammar and on their punctuation and just different routes, you know, writing, you know, as, uh, feedback. So I'm not an English teacher, so I don't purport to be one. But right. But anyway, that but it is working for us. So that uh, whoever you said that was Sue is exactly right. We're seeing the same thing in our school. Yeah, that's that's so amazing. Uh, I just love this idea of having college kids grade, or not grade, but give feedback on some of the papers. Um, I think that's such a good idea that I that I hadn't heard you guys were doing, and that's it's exciting because the kids actually then have a chance to um, to get that feedback, and they don't need feedback from only their teacher. A lot of schools do um, peer feedback sessions so that their peers can tell them how their writing is. And sometimes that feels less um, effective because they may not know what good writing looks like. And so giving it to someone outside who can say, yeah, this is good, and here's what you could improve, and here's where it was really great, that gives them more authentic feedback, um, which I think is super exciting. Yeah, that's uh, we had some funds and we're doing that, and I think uh, I think it's going rather well. So anyway, hmm. 
I think that's awesome. Well, Greg, thank you again for your time. Thanks for this extra little bonus here on the end. I appreciate it. Um, thank you so much. I really appreciate all your time and what you've taught me tonight. Thank you, Jethro. And thank, thank you. It's been a pleasure. And uh, if, uh, if uh, just send me that email and I'll send you that stuff, uh, the agenda and maybe a copy of our objective tracker. That'd be great. Uh, so that other people can see it and, and look at it. Okay. That'd be awesome. Thank you so much. Have a great day. Okay. Um, so the last question that I ask every principal is what is something that schools can start doing that principals can start doing today to become a transformative principal like you? Are you asking specifically on PLC work? Or are you asking in general? Um, I'm asking what advice would you give to someone who's listening to this and says, you know what? I want to be as good as Greg. What do I need to do first? Where should I start? Well, I think if you want to if you want to build a system over time, you need to start and say you need to think about what you can start in your school that's going to last 5 to 7 years because if you can't think of something that's going to last that long that's meaningful and that you can build on and not change, then then you're, you'll never get there, I don't mm -hmm. believe. And th so my advice would be that and if and if it is collaboration and the, the P, this, this subject level team movement, I would start, uh, think big and start small. I would find three teachers in your building that want to do it. If you don't have any place else to start, I would find three teachers that want to do it. I would train them. I would send them to a conference. I would get them excited about it. And then the next year I would add two, th you know, two other teams and, and pretty soon, uh, is going to get around the building that that everyone wants to do this. I think a lot of principals make mistake by trying to do their whole school all at once, and then you have the naysayers, and then you have this, and then you have that. It it can work, but it's also okay to say, you know what, I'm gonna I'm gonna start small, and over time win the race. Mm -hmm. So that's my advice. Yeah, I think that's great advice. Um, Greg, thank you so much for your time tonight. I have learned a ton, um, and this is super exciting. You gave the same advice that uh, Bill Daggett, um, the uh, founder of the International Center for Leadership and Education that I interviewed a couple of weeks ago, um, he gave the same advice, dream big and start small, and, um, and I think that's great. I don't even know if you know who that is, but it's awesome. Do you know who Bill Daggett is? I okay, do. good. He, he was a... He was a very inspiring speaker at a conference I went to, and it was, it was awesome. And that, that idea, you know, start small, that's totally okay. Thank you so much for downloading and listening to this podcast. Please subscribe in iTunes or Stitcher, and please feel free to give us a rating on Stitcher Radio or on iTunes so that we can help spread the word about how much we're learning in this podcast. Thank you so much for listening. You can find me on Twitter at Jethro Jones.